Let's pray. Father, I thank you that um, you know every every heart in here. That we are uh, we're joined together as a congregation worshiping you, but you know us individually. You you know so much about us. You know us um, better than we know ourselves, and you still love us. Lord, impress that upon us today. Impress upon us the value that you give us by your love. Amen. Stories told of a man who loved old books. He collected lots of old books. He knew the value of most. One day he met an acquaintance who had just thrown away an old Bible that their family had had hidden away in an attic in the ancestral home for generations. And the book collector asked his friend, why did you just throw it away? Why didn't you show it to me? Maybe it was worth something. He says, oh, no, he says, I'm sure it wasn't. I couldn't read it. He says, somebody named Guten something had, had printed it. Not Gutenberg, the man said. Like, yeah. He says, that Bible was one of the first books ever printed. Why, a copy of the Gutenberg Bible just sold for about $2 million recently was not impressed. He said, well, I don't think so. Not this one. Don't worry. Mine wouldn't have been worth anything. It wouldn't even brought a dollar. Some fellow named Martin Luther had scribbled all over it in German. <laughs> Do you know the true value of things? I once heard of a child who was crying uncontrollably because he had reached down in this vase, this very expensive Chinese vase, to get something in there. And then he couldn't get his hand back out. It got stuck inside the vase. And so the parents were all frantic. They went and got their neighbors. And they're all trying to you know, put grease or whatever they could down into the hole to try and maybe get his hand free. No way they could get his hand free. They thought they were going to break his arm. He's just crying uncontrollably because they're all trying so hard to get him out. Finally, they decide, we just got to break the vase. So they broke the vase, and as those sad shards just fell to the floor, they realized what was going on. He had seen a shiny penny in the bottom of that expensive vase and wouldn't let go. Do you know real value when you see it? On April 14, 1912, 10 p.m., the Titanic crashed into an iceberg in the mid-Atlantic and four hours later sank. One woman who had just gotten into a lifeboat, getting ready to leave the ship, asked if she could run back to her room very quickly to grab something. And she was given two minutes. She ran back to her room. And uh, she, she just imagined what she needed to grab. You know, she's a very wealthy woman. She had all these different things to grab. And, and yet, what she grabbed were three oranges and hurried back to the lifeboat. And she was saved. Do you know real value when the time comes that value must be sought. This morning, we're wrapping up a sermon series, Dare to Believe. Since Easter Sunday, we've been talking about things that we should dare to believe in. We began by realizing that we are to dare believe that Jesus was sent to save us. Have you believed? Have you received what he has offered us? Through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Dare to believe that God has a plan for your life and mine. Do you know what that plan is? Are you following Jesus every day? Are you following what it is that he wants you to do? Dare to believe there's hope no matter what. And sometimes we get in places in life where that's really hard to believe. But we need to know that no matter what, 
we have hope in Jesus Christ. Also encouraged everyone to dare to believe that God will show us what we're supposed to do through the Holy Spirit. We talked about God's guidance day by day. Are we listening to the Holy Spirit? Are you still listening? That's been a couple weeks back. Are you still listening to the Holy Spirit every moment of every day? Do you dare to believe that church is actually good for us? <laughs> a lot of myths that people have and they kind of put off church, believe that church is kind of optional. But God created church for a reason. He's invited us into the church. He's incorporated us. He, he added to the church everyone that believed in Christ. Why is that? You see how important it is for us to be connected to God and to each other through the body of Christ. So the bottom line of this series is simply this. Is your faith real? Is it legitimate? Or are you just going through the motions? Is this faith that is lived, not just words that are sung or spoken? This morning, I want us to dare to believe that God values each and every one of us. You and I are valuable to God. We have an eternal value that we can never lose. God knows and cares about each of us individually. Each of us matters greatly to him. Well, how much does he care? Let me show you something. In Matthew 10.30, Jesus said, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, isn't that an interesting thing that he would bring up one day? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, just think about that for a second. God knows at any moment, any given time, how many hairs are on your head. Now, for some of us, that's a lot easier to keep track of than others. Right, Steve? Right. A few others that could probably focus on In fact, mine's getting a lot thinner than it used to be. Have you ever noticed? Probably you didn't even notice. Thank you for that. If I turned around, you would notice. Have you ever stopped to consider how many hairs are on the average head? I'm told it's about 100,000. That we're all born with about the same number of follicles and, you know, things happen up and down on that. Uh, but God is aware of these things. God is into details. And that, this is amazing to me. That God doesn't just say, well, there's 7 billion people. I love all of them. You know, God so loved the world that he sent Jesus into the world. God loves every one of those 7 billion people. And that kind of boggles our minds because there's no way we would keep track of so much detail. But God can. God's abilities are limitless. Knowing the numbers of hairs on our head, you see, is a symbol to us of how intimately God can know each one of us. He wants to know us that personally, and he does. And I'm amazed that Jesus would even mention this, even the hairs of your head are numbered. But even God knows everything going on in your life this very moment, any moment. Let me encourage you this morning, then don't worry about your life. Don't think that it's all on you. Because God is watching out for you. You know, I sometimes worry. Do you? Anybody in this room admit that you worry sometimes? Am I the only one? I don't think so. I need to dare to believe that I'm valuable to God. Because I am. And he's proven it in many ways. Jesus drew a picture for us in Matthew 6. You might have heard these words. It comes from the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you could, by worrying, could even add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. 
They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow will be thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about your daily needs. You know, we get all tied up in knots about these things. How am I going to get what I need? How am I going to supply what I need? God knows about these things. And he's already got a plan. He's already promised he's going to take care of us. You are much more valuable than the birds of the air. So numerous are these birds. We can't number them. And yet God takes care of each of them. You know, it's not beyond his ability. We get all worried and bothered about, you know, our clothing. He says, but look at the flowers of the field. Stunningly beautiful. And yet they only last a season. God goes to all this trouble for them, and they're going to be burned up in just a few months. You know, by next September, they're gone. Or maybe even the glory of them is gone in another month or two. Some of these last a day or two. And God says, I don't care. I'm going to make that beauty. I'm going to make it happen. And I care about each one of those. And this is a symbol of how much I care for you. You're eternal. And you will be around in your soul forever. We should learn from the flowers. We should learn from the birds. That if God clothes them, God takes care of them, what will he do for us in eternity? Let's look again at the last couple of verses in the passage that we just read from Matthew 6. Starting with verse 31. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. First of all, note something here, that Jesus says that pagans run after all these things. Now, what are the pagans? The pagans are people that don't know him, people that are far away from God. We would just call them the lost, people that are, are unaware of God, not living for God, not aware of God's presence, not aware of God's word, and they're just living life as it presents itself to them, living as the people around them live, as they were taught to live, as it was shown for them to live. And they run after these things. And he's talking about physical things. So the pagans are into the physical, material world. They live to acquire physical things. They live to satisfy physical desires. And that's where life is. We're not condemning them. We're not saying that, that you know, we're better than them because it's exactly how we live before we live for Christ. They substitute material things, material things, uh, physical things, pleasures for the place that only God can fill. And we've filled that space with God, or we're filling that space with God. As we get our minds and our hearts wrapped around this, as we understand that God is so much greater, so much more important than anything physical around us. But people put their hope in these things, and they come away dissatisfied. They come away empty. 
even though they may have their hands full. You know, they got lots of stuff. They're empty because they don't have God. And they're empty of joy, empty of satisfaction that they can receive from God. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you dare to believe that? Have you dared to believe that God is so much greater than the physical world that we are part of every day? Sometimes we get caught up in the world too, don't we? Sometimes we get all about the physical and only thinking about the material thing, and we lose sight of God. Are we perhaps pagan still in our thinking, pagan in our hearts? Jesus is saying pagans run after these things, but not you. You seek first the kingdom of God. You seek first his righteousness. And these other things, they just they come along. They're, they're, they're okay. He'll, he'll take care of you for that. Jesus was trying to convince us that God loves us and that God loves us beyond all the physical needs, all the things that we might do. God loves us no matter what. We must dare to believe that there is nothing we can do to make God love us more, nothing we can do to make God love us less. It's not about what we're doing. It's not about whether we measure up. It's about his love. And he gives that love no matter what. I sometimes find myself worrying about the mistakes I've made, the sins that I've committed. Do you? Are you like me? Am I the only one? I don't think so. Sometimes I get to thinking I don't deserve for God to love me. I think sometimes I'm not worthy of his love. Do you know why we feel that way? Well, one thing is we have an enemy that's trying to constantly convince us that God doesn't really love us. We have an enemy called the devil. He's our accuser. He tries to remind us of our mistakes, tries to chip away at our relationships with God. He doesn't want us to think that God wants us or desires us or loves us. So that's one reason we get these thoughts, the one reason we start going through this cycle. But the second thing is we really don't deserve his love. It's the truth. He gives it in spite of us. He gives it because he loves us and he made us and he wants us back. He wants to redeem us. You see, Satan is our accuser. Satan is our adversary. That's really what the words mean. Satan is a Hebrew word meaning adversary. And devil is a Greek word meaning false accuser. And Satan would like nothing more than to take us to be in hell with him forever. And so John 10.10 describes him as a thief, a thief who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's Satan's motive. That's Satan's wish. And so he tells us all kinds of lies. And we, we get all these uh, things going about Satan where he's kind of, you know, just he's not even real. Or uh, he's this cute little character in, in red leotards and horns and, you know, the the pitchfork and the whole thing, you know, he's kind of a comical figure played up in our movies and, and different ways. He's a very real enemy. I thought about putting a picture up here as grotesque, I mean, somebody's artist rendering of what Satan may look like to, to kind of strike fear in your heart. And I'm not trying to strike fear. I'm trying to strike awareness, reality. We have an enemy who seeks to destroy and kill us. And not only to take away our physical life, he does that to a lot of people in a lot of ways, but to take away our eternal soul to hell with him forever. But he can't get us if we're in God. He can't touch us if we're in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, the Apostle Paul told us what the love of God means and what 
the love of God does. He asks the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, who's going to stand up against God? And then he answers the question in so many words, well, nobody can. Nobody can do that. Romans 8, 38 says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I dare you to believe that you are valuable to God and that nothing can separate you from his love. Don't believe the lies that Satan is telling you or tries to get you to believe. Believe the truth. God has said, I love you and you are mine forever. You see, God takes great pleasure in us. He created us as the, the pinnacle of his creation in his image. And what that means is we have freedom as, as moral agents. We can make choices. The rest of the animal kingdom doesn't have this. They have you know, instincts and they have reactions to what's going on. But to think clearly like a human being is different. And to have the image of God where we can choose our destiny. We can choose which way we're going to go. We can choose good or evil. And God loves us so much he created us that way. But it creates the potential for disaster. Creates a potential for eternity away from him. And he doesn't want that to happen. And so he's gone to every measure, every means possible to make sure we understand and that we can come back even when we have failed. You know, you are not the mistakes you have made. You are not your mistakes. They are only something you've done. You are not a failure even though you have failed at times. We've all failed. We've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. And, and before Christ, we are sinners completely bound by that. We were in this pagan world lost and separated from God. But through Jesus Christ, he has brought it back. And through Jesus Christ, he has given us his righteousness. And we seek that righteousness. We seek the kingdom of God every day because God has made it possible. Not that we're better than anyone else. Not that we achieve this. It was given. Ephesians 2 says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And then verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You and I have eternal value. We need to remember that. We need to grab that truth. We need to cling to that truth. And we need to live and walk in that truth. His grace saved us. His grace made us his workmanship, his handiwork. We are, we are his people doing his thing. And you have eternal value and so do I. So we need to live like it. Which means, first of all, we don't have to get caught up into the world of, of things. We're not... Long, no longer living in this, this pagan mindset, this pagan attitude that the physical is where life is. Remember Paul telling Timothy, he says, take hold of the life that is life indeed, the life that is true life. It's not about your things. It's not about your money. It's not about making more or, or, or whatever else may happen in your life that looks like you're successful now. It's about the love that you have in God through Christ and how 
you can live in that love. So raise your eyes. See eternity for what it is. Secondly, remember that your value is not determined by your circumstances or by your choices. Uh, good or bad. You know, you, you could say, well, God's really smiling on me because look how well I'm doing. I'm healthy and all these financial things are happening and my kids are doing well at school and you'd list these all different things. But what happens if your circumstances change? Is God now frowning on you? Is God now, you know, has he left you? Has he abandoned you? And even your own choices, choices for good or bad, you know, you don't go up and down, saved and not saved because of you made these choices. And, and today you sin and you lost it all. You lost what was given you. No, God loves you in spite of your sin. God loves you right where you are. If you made bad choices, remember that God has not given up on you. He will not leave you. He will not leave you wallowing in your sin. He will try to get your attention in a variety of ways. He will convict you through your conscience and through the Holy Spirit. And his, his desire is that you would repent, you'd turn back and allow him to change your heart. Let him help you to live for eternal purposes. We also need to choose to live and glorify God who made us. We are his handiwork. We have eternal value. And we have an eternal purpose. It's not to make more money. It's not to grow up nice kids. It's not to, to live comfortably and retire well. We have an eternal purpose. And that is to reach out to the pagans. <laughs> that is to reach out to the lost people around us who don't yet know him. The people who are still caught in the trap. Who are still blinded in their eyes by the God of this world. And we have the mission. To share this love that we've been given with them. And to tell them how much God loves them. I, I've got a new opening line for people. Maybe one. I'm just testing it. We'll see how people react. And that is. To, as you're having conversation with somebody. Just say. Do you have any idea how much God loves you? I'm not sure it should offend anybody. I was like, well I don't think there is a God. And they may come back with the actual why. He doesn't love me. Want to start a conversation though? <laughs> Do you have any idea how much God loves you? My new opening line. Maybe you try it. Tell me what you find. You hear the tragic news this week about a little boy that drowned at the beach in North Carolina. Finally found him after five days. Uh, man, that, that one hit home because it's the same beach we've gone to many times. Northern end of you know, Kerala, Duck, that area. North Carolina, Outer Banks way up in a place called Corova, where you have to go by four-wheel drive. One time we did that, my brother-in-law's truck almost got stuck then. Beautiful homes, nice open beaches, but no lifeguards. And a woman was out there with her little four-year-old son. We could go Wednesday. He's playing in the waves, and suddenly he's gone. And she ran down looking all over and never could see him again. He just disappeared. He was gone. Five days later, uh, they found him. Now, the place where I think he actually drowned was south of there, maybe closer down to Kitty Hawk, and somehow the surf brought him further north over a period of time. His name was Wesley Belisle, four years old. And that had serious impact on me when I heard that because this August we're going to the beach as a family, and Grayson will be four years old, and he's going to be running all over that surf, I know. 
This is a very real thing. At the time of the news story, after they found him, his family was making arrangements to take him back to New Hampshire and to bury their little boy. This is such a tragic loss of life. It could happen so easily to any of us. It should never have happened, but we know things like this do. And yet, I want to tell you something. The loss of Wesley's life is not nearly as great as the loss of teenagers and adults who reject God. Because Wesley's okay. He had not reached an age where he was answerable for his choices. And he's safe with the Father. But how many people around us are not? Adults, teenagers, people that have reached the age where they are responsible, they are accountable, and they're choosing to live without God. Bishop Moore tells the story of a little boy who was swimming one day in a lake when suddenly he suffered some type of physical difficulty. Maybe you know, he had a cramp or something, and he couldn't swim any farther, and he's struggling for his life. He'd gone under twice, and suddenly he felt this hand, a strong hand, reach into the water and grab him by the shoulder, bring him to the surface. Man had seen his desperate plight, gotten out to him, and saved him in time. And he thanked him, of course, for his life. And he says, well, that's good, but make sure you're worth saving. <laughs> that was Bishop Moore, who went on to serve the Lord and to do what he could for God. Are you worth saving? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't feel in myself I'm worth saving, except that I know a Father who loves me. I know a God who created me. And I know a God who wants a relationship with me. Am I worth saving? Am I worth what he did? Are you? Are we showing the worthiness of our thanks and our gratitude and our love by the way we live for him? I hope so. Can you think of anyone not worth saving? I don't care what they've done. I don't care where they've gone. I don't care who they've hurt. I don't care how many people... You know, that, that they have, have tried to destroy whatever terrible direction their life has taken. God says, they're still worth it. They're still worth the cost of my son's sacrifice on the cross. God says they're worth it. We must say they're worth it. And as we've been given new life, we've been given an eternal life with God. So every person that God has ever created, he wants the same thing for them. His desire is that they would come to know the truth and they would be saved through Jesus Christ. Can they be on our hearts? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the uh, word that you've given us today. Um, a lot of different things, thoughts have gone through our mind. We've reflected perhaps on our own lives some and we've realized how much you've given us when we didn't deserve it. We've realized how much you forgave us and how much you still forgive us today in Christ and how that righteousness of Christ was given freely to us when we didn't deserve it. We know, Lord, that we walk and live in your grace and your love is given with a condition that we would we'd have to deserve it or we would have to earn it given freely. And yet you desire now that we would live in that love. We would walk in that love. We would give grace 
freely to other people around us, not holding their sins against them, not feeling like, okay, we're safe, we're protected now, that's fine. No, but to realize that your heart, Lord, beats for the lost, for those who do not know you yet. Lord, help us to dare to believe that we have value because of your love. Dare to believe, Lord, that people that are far from you are just as valuable because they have the same love from God. Bless us in our attitudes. Bless us in our changes that we need to go through where we, we still hold grudges or maybe we hold resentment or, or maybe we're still caught up in this world and we're all about the material, physical things. Lord, if we're pagan in our thinking, Confront us today. If we are still striving to live as we did before we knew Christ, wake us up, Lord, because it's not about that. And give us your mission. Give us your purpose for life. That we would declare through our words and our actions your love to this world that so desperately needs you. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want us to just turn our eyes upon Jesus for a minute. And Becky, I'm going to ask you just to kind of play through the song a few times. And uh, even before we sing it, I want you to just think about what Jesus has done for you. Maybe you need a time of reflection, a time to think about, you know, where you are. Your life is, is so busy in some direction. Is it the right direction? Does it need to be changed? Maybe you've got things in your heart that are, are, are troubling you. Maybe there's burdens on your heart that, that, you know, you need to realize God still loves you. Your circumstances don't tell you whether he loves you or not. Maybe there's something you can find in that that will show his love and, and make a difference. Maybe there's resentment. Maybe you build up something. Maybe you're having a hard time forgiving somebody. Maybe you see the people around you that you work with and you're so aggravated by them so frustrated and God wants a change of heart to happen in you turn your eyes to Jesus <laughs> there will be something new there will be a grace that comes into your heart that you didn't have before and you'll be able to see people differently just take a moment to reflect and pray and seek God's heart with